Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by Tabitha and Katie. <laughs> hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. Welcome back to Crimes and Cocktails. Spooky edition. <laughs> I was reading it how you wrote it. Spooky. Uh, yes, we're in costume. Um, if you're listening, you can watch this episode on Patreon, so you don't get to see our faces unless you pay for our bills. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's three dollars. Three dollars. That's a perfect setup, actually. <laughs> so if you're listening, I am dressed up as Lord Farquaad from Shrek. And I'm a creepy little doll nobody wants to play with. <laughs> That's just what you are normally sometimes. So just <laughs> I, yeah, I got back from work. It was all, hold on, let me put on some makeup. <laughs> um, so. Although I will say, so I didn't know what I was going to be this year for Halloween. And normally I do like group costumes or a couple mm-hmm. of costumes with friends. Or we've done costumes together. Yeah. But um, I was trying to think of something. Couldn't really think of anything. Ended up doing Lord Farquaad. Super random, I know. And I'm pretty proud of the way this costume came out because it was a lot of like random, like, I'll just order this off Amazon and I'll pick this up from this store and whatever. Seeing what works. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I did sew Whittle Wags. <laughs> to, the Little Legs. Are so good. I think that's what makes the costume. The costume live at my house. And the little legs were the, (laughs) I think, the star of the show. And your little gingerbread. Yeah. I don't know where he is. I don't think he made the flight. (laughs) He's all still in my backyard. (laughs) You monster. (laughs) (laughs) The ginger dead man. But I had ordered a wig from Amazon and I didn't open it until I got to Katie's house in Sacramento because like you guys know I'm in Florida and I had flown out there for a wedding and then we're like let's extend my stay and have a Halloween party too because duh yeah extended <laughs> it by a week just for when a I party. opened that thing it was like it was long it was and long it was, like, it was not like Farquaad it was no. nasty yeah it, it was, was not good it was gross it was like I don't know someone's uncle's hair or something <laughs> But Goltito. he yeah. found this thing at like Target for $10. So that was a good little last minute find. But I will say that this is advertised as like a flapper hairstyle. And if you decide to be a flapper this year and you bought this wig from Target, they really did you dirty because you don't look like a flapper girl. You look like Lord Farquaad or like the page boys. So yeah, I'm that's sorry. definitely, that's good for Farquaad and then the berries and cream little lad. Like yeah. Mine, not a Nothing else. Wig. And it's itchy as hell. And like, I even got some weird stuff going on here. I mean, this costume is also just kind of falling apart right now because this is like day two, well, day two of wearing it. So yeah. It's 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 done its duty. 
I'm on my third costume of the season. So yeah, I did a lot of last minute costumes for like the last couple events because like when I came back to Florida, I went out with friends and they're like, you should be Lord Farquaad. And I'm like, it's like 85 degrees outside. It's going to be hotter inside. And like Mm -hmm. this costume, I have to wear a turtleneck, a cape, gloves, a wig, a hat, Hat. leggings, boots. Like it's like a, it's many layers. (laughs) The little wigs. Yeah, exactly. Nah. (laughs) Yeah. But you guys are our loyal patrons. We'll get to see it. It's a good costume. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, it's if you really if you've already seen it on Instagram, I think we posted a picture there. Too. Oh yeah, that's true. Kitty was uh, Lydia from Beetlejuice. Yes. I Although, might. did you ever take a picture with Taylor? Because I don't think I saw one. We did get one together. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Submitted okay, it good. to his his work um, for oh, the nice. costume contest. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah, no, Halloween day, I was, like, actually super busy, so I actually didn't end up posting any pictures of any of my costumes. I'll have to do that later. <laughs> yes, please. Please share. Halloween. <laughs> we had, like, a Tim Burton-themed party. It was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. great. I just pulled down the balloons today that you guys put up because um, it's trash night, so I was like, let's get pop, those pop, out pop. of here. Yeah, Taylor popped them all. And then... Um, because it's time for Christmas. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanksgiving. No, Thanksgiving's on the 23rd, and then it's Christmas again. <laughs> so, oh, okay. One whole that's day. That's how I... They, it gets one day. And then... Uh, and then actually, no, it gets more than one day, because then it gets until my leftovers are gone. And then it's Christmas again. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. Well... We are here for our quote-unquote Halloween special. It's a little delayed because life happens, guys. I was sick. Duh. I still kind of am sick. Um, so sorry if I'm like in the mic <laughs> sniffling <laughs> because um, my sinuses still aren't 100% there. But my voice is back. Yeah. So, yeah. Chris, it would have been good. like a creepy little, you know, episode I know. there. You don't want to go down there. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we can do that costume next year. Oh my God. Uh, <gasps> so this week we are finishing. Like... Oh gosh, I got really excited there. <laughs> no, because one of us could be the little albino assistant, and then one of could be <laughs> what is it? The twelve fingered or eleven fingered man? Oh, the six fingered man. Six fingered man. Yeah, you could do a whole group costume. <laughs> Taylor could be the wheelbarrow. Um... <laughs> the wheelbarrow. <laughs> I mean, he could, he could at least be like Andre the Giant. Nah, 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 the wheelbarrow. <laughs> he could be the cape. <laughs> the brute squad. You are the brute squad. <laughs> All right. So this week we're wrapping up our like murderous movie uh, theme. It's still spooky season. It's still spooky hearts. season. So and that's why the we're on itching through this Lord Farquaad. <laughs> it's already Dude, so this, this wig like, is actually really comfortable. I've been wearing it for like a lot of my costumes and I'm like, hmm. Maybe so work. on <laughs> Saturday, I did, because I didn't want to do this, so I did like a very <clears throat> impromptu Wednesday Adams costume, but I mm-hmm. went with the new Wednesday Adams because I had a black lace dress that was like perfect for it. Yeah. And I had my black wig that I wore last year when I did like in what we do in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And 
I like found that, put it on and did a braid. And I'm pretty sure I only spent $20 on that wig last year. And it's like a really nice wig. This was like, only $20. I was like, what a deal. Like I need to go bookmark it or something. Cause it came in, um, it came in so many other colors and I was like, Ooh, so many flavors. Oh my this. God. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god, Becky. Um, but maybe oh no, <laughs> I could get it for another <laughs> my glove. Um, I'm like, maybe we'll all have them in other colors and work for future costumes, especially if we do the the pain and panic costume next year. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Too many mm-hmm. costumes. Yeah. That's why you just have to throw theme parties. All right, yeah. let's get to the movie. So this week we are talking about the very true story behind. The 1979 and the 2005 films, The Amityville Horror. Um, if you haven't seen either of them, I won't go with 2005 because my man Ryan Reynolds is in it. And, you know, it's Ryan The Reynolds. Amityville Horror for that movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying, no, I'm saying. Yeah. You can slay all day. <laughs> so, he does. If you, he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you are into anything spooky, I am sure if you heard it loud, clash that's my cats just oh okay you like stopped and like what yeah <laughs> somebody slashing so down your door if you have if you are into anything spooky i'm sure you've heard of what is known as america's most haunted house the amityville horror house as they call it in fact this house has also inspired an entire franchise in the horror genre and i actually want to read a couple of these because i was like well, goddamn! Why are there so many Amityville movies? People love the spooky, haunted possess- yeah. possessions. So there's Amityville Horror, which is the original one, 1979. Mm-hmm. Then they came out with Amityville Two Possession in like '82. They have okay. Amityville 3D came out in '83 when I guess they discovered how to do 3D music, which that sounds absolutely terrifying in the '80s to do that. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Um, Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, in 1990, they have The Amityville Curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1992, <laughs> they have Amityville, It's About Time. In 1993, they have Amityville, A New Generation. Ooh. 1996, here's where you come in, Amityville Dollhouse. Mama. <laughs> and then finally they end that franchise and then they had the 2005 one with Ryan Reynolds and then mm-hmm. they made some more there's Amityville Haunting in 2011 Amityville Asylum Amityville Death House Amityville Playhouse Amityville Terror Amityville No Escape Amityville Exorcism I even saw a shark one what? there's there's a lot shark. there's a lot <laughs> so yeah there's a lot of films they basically like bled the story dry for sure and honestly, if they made a new one today, I'd watch it. We'd go see it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and I it. think that these movies do so well because there is some, and I say some, truth behind the story. So yeah. that's kind of why it's the allure to it and why it's so terrifying and so scary. Yeah. So Makes if you sense. haven't seen the movie or you were in the dark about this story, this movie is about the Lutz family who move into Amityville, New York, into a home there where the brutal mass murder of the DeFeo family was previously committed. They begin to have numerous paranormal experiences in the house, and after several attempts to bless the house and exercise the spirits out of the house, Kathy Lutz, the mom, she visits a library. Visits? Visits. 
visits the library. She visits it. Maybe I need to go. <laughs> and she goes there to research this property's history, which I remember like in the 2005 when they have like whole slide like projector. And I was like, oh, I need to go investigate stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. Katie's like, that's what I do for a living. It so. is. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not investigating. So cool. It's getting a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. But she finds the county records suggesting that this house was built atop the Shincock burial ground of the Shincock Native Americans, and that a known, a well-known satanic worshiper named John Ketchum, mm -hmm. Ketch, Ketchum, not Ketchup, Ketchum, uh, but almost spelled the same, just an M instead of a P, yeah. uh, had once like lived Ketchum on the land, and that he, uh, I think they portray, at least in 2005, when I remember they portray that, like, Ketchum was like making human sacrifices and I think even torturing Native Americans and stuff. So it was a pretty gruesome scene. Um, she also discovers news clippings about the DeFeo murders. Like this bitch didn't know that murders happened there. Anyways. <laughs> um, and she notices that Ronald DeFeo, the man who killed his family, has a very striking resemblance to her husband, George Lutz. Dun, dun, dun. So the paranormal events culminate that night during a rainstorm. It gets pretty crazy. Blood oozes from the walls, down the staircase. There's like green substance. There's flies everywhere. There's a horrible odor. Um, you know, all that fun stuff that you have in a fun house. And Jody uh, is appearing. Jody was like one of the children's uh, imaginary friends. And all of a sudden you can see it and it's like this large red eyed pig and it's seen through a window. And then her husband, George gets possessed. He tries to kill the children with an ax, but um, like Kathy somehow stopped him and they get out of the house and they get on the boat and they like get away. And suddenly they're like, we're free. And it's uh, they abandon their home, all their belongings, and at the very end of the movie, it says George and Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaim their house or their personal belongings, and today they live in another state. So, if you were like 16-year-old me watching this, uh, which I watched at the movie theaters when it came out, and my parents did not know, and did you I do was the terrified. Ticket switch. <laughs> That's what I yeah, used to and one of those ticket switches, I remember, I definitely got in trouble for, and it wasn't a movie that was even worth it. But this was like my I had a friend uh, in, in middle school who like grew up watching like horror movies. So she was super desensitized to all that. Yeah. And it didn't phase her at all. And I would always try to be brave and watch them. But I was like terrified the entire time <laughs> and had horrible nightmares. So yeah, here's looking at you, Jess. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks a lot for me doing it to myself. But right. I was scared for weeks uh, after this movie and what's the one with the tooth fairy? Darkness Falls. That movie really got me. It was like because I was already kind of scared of the dark and yeah. in that movie like it's the tooth fairy but she's not the tooth fairy. She's like some crazy spirit and she can only get you when you're in the dark. So yeah, just combining all your worst fears. I think the first horror movie I ever saw was like radio silence i think it was called but it was about this guy whose wife died then he becomes obsessed with trying to contact her but instead he accidentally contacts like a whole bunch of spirits and demons and they come and talk to him throughout like tv static and radio static and he hears like voices through it and so then it freaked me out because i was like 12 also not allowed to watch those types of movies but i watched <laughs> it at my aunt's house and <laughs> i was so scared because every time i heard 
you're listening. Um, <laughs> I would um, hear static from either like the TV because this was the bunny or days um and uh or through a radio station i was tuning and i was always afraid i was going to hear something like <laughs> or something like oh gosh that fucking, like, <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> oh, so, exactly. scary movies and i yeah. remember when i left that movie theater i was so scared and just obviously i needed to look into it to know how much truth there was in this because yeah when you leave the movie theater, they really make it seem like this all really happened. Like this is yes. a real account. And so yeah. you're like, oh my like god!" So you're like, my critical thinking yeah. skills aren't there. And yet. when this movie first came out in 1979, it was also the same thing. So as yeah. you can imagine, there was a huge panic that went out and an and obsession at this time. Yeah. This is also during the time of um, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren, yeah. and just a huge obsession with exorcism. The Exorcist yeah. also came out in the 70s. So there's just a lot of a that lot. going on in Hollywood. And mm -hmm. yeah, so. So but, we're going to yeah. get into it. But first, we need to have our little drinky, which is called Sins of the Sun. Um, we have our matching skeleton. <laughs> yes. Which some of our longtime listeners actually have these. And I think we gave these away for a giveaway some, sometime. So anyway. Back when we did stuff, no, it was not in a we did stuff. Yeah. Um, we'll do stuff again. Um, so in a shaker, add one scoop of ice, one ounce of mezcal, half an ounce of ancho reyes, half an ounce of capoletti, half an ounce of pomegranate juice, and two lime squeezes. Um, but don't drop the lime in there. Shake, strain, and pour into a cocktail glass. Garnish with a tahini half rim and dried lemon oil floating on top. Full disclaimer, um, I am not drinking this drink right now. Me but either. It's <laughs> but delicious sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm drinking it though. It's as hell. Yeah. I've been on like a major mezcal it's tequila so kick. And like, you know me, anything spicy. Like, I just mm -hmm. love that. So... That I feel like what I was going with mezcal is the scotch of tequilas because it has like that nice smoky flavor. Mm -hmm. It's bomb. It's yeah. Bomb. And with the ancho reyes, it's like it it really kicks it up. So yeah, I love this drink um, and I want to do something red and something a little fiery. But yeah. uh, because it is uh, about 1030 at night on uh, my time, I'm drinking some I'm drinking I'm drinking, but I am drinking Bailey's Kula espresso and some pumpkin spice. Some pumpkin spice makes it nice. So, finds ramen pink lemonade. <laughs> so, um, you can find this recipe as always. We don't on always our promise Instagram. we're drinking what we're promoting, but we are drinking. <laughs> yeah, you know we would never not drink. So, <laughs> I got you. See, there are sober kids in the world, <laughs> right? <So. laughs> it's for the children. We're saving them from drinking. Um, so I think that's for friends. Um, so check it out on our Instagram, Crimes and Cocktails. Um, you can also check it on our Patreon, um, like Tabitha mentioned earlier. If you would like to become a patron, it is $3 a month. Um, and uh, you will get to see these occasional Three, videos um, and have access to episodes early and um, our past little single shot episodes. And then, as always, you can email us at crimes. Or not at, but you know what I mean. Crimes.cocktails at gmail.com. Um, yeah. Send us your stories or 
say hi, whatever you whatever you want. Just no dick pics. But no. Dick anyways, pics. so let's go to the beginning. In the beginning, go back to the beginning. So here I am. <laughs> I always have to make that joke. I can't not. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's certain trigger words that I hear on the mic. I gotta make. I also joke. really wonder how many people listening even get these trigger words and these. I don't know. These quotes. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. know. Well, as I said, they go back to the beginning. So here I am. <laughs> All right. So first, John Ketchum. Let's just let's just shut. Let's just cut to the chase on this one. So John Ketchum and the Shincock Native Americans are both real. They they did exist. Um, <laughs> however, as you might expect, they are nothing like what's portrayed in the movies. So the Shincock Native Americans resided nowhere near Amityville. Like, besides, <laughs> all of the Native Americans on Long Island were part of the Montequet Nation, which I am probably mispronouncing that, but... Montequet? I don't think that's it. I don't know. But different tribes. Um, it was the Europeans that placed names on inhabitants of the local areas, as you guys know that, but it's uh, they were not in that area. I think I think there was an account of maybe one member or two of the Shincock Native Americans, but it was like 10 miles away from Amityville, which 10 miles back then was a lot further than it is now, so yeah. Not close to the house. Um so yeah. Um there's no record that there was ever an Indian or Native American <laughs> burial ground or a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there were Indian people there. Yes, there's none of that either. There. <laughs> but not Native American. Not me turning as red as my cape right now <laughs> while Katie watches me. Um, <laughs> so, but there, there's no record of a Native American burial ground there um, or uh, anything on Ocean Avenue, which is the street that the house was on. Oh, and according car. to Long Island Native American expert John Strong, author of We Are Still Here, Many Native American groups lived along the tidal bays in the area, but as far as the claims about Native Americans made in J. Anson's The Amityville Horror, he insists that this was all just part of a hoax to boost entertainment, which makes sense. Adds for an extra yeah. spooky element there. Yeah. I swear, I know I've had this conversation with people before, but anytime something is like haunted or there's something like weird going on. They're like, maybe this was a Native American. Well, they say Indian, Indian burial ground, and it's like always the go-to reason. Um, just like maybe your ass is haunted because you played with a Ouija board. Like, yeah. why does it always have to be a burial? I think though, I think that that's because <clears throat> that's the like oldest, you know, peoples that lived here. Whereas like. Yeah. If we live somewhere else, like in Europe, genocidal guilt. That's what it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's not a ghost. That's that. just your stomach turning with guilt. Um, yes. But like, if you you know, when we go to like Ireland or whatever, and they talk about hauntings, yeah. like the Vikings and stuff like yes. that. So I, yes. I do think everywhere that has of, their people. They're trying to go they... back to the oldest, like you know, group of people that they can think were yeah. there at that time. But yeah. It's funny though because you never really hear about Native American ghosts. It's always like some white lady in some 1800s dress yeah. or some kid that escaped the insane asylum. It's never, yeah. you know, chief. 
Chief uh, Big Feather <laughs> or anything like that. So I was like, was my grandfather. No, I was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen him, so I don't know. But yeah. Anyway, so representative. Also, I'd local... like to say that's not Tabitha that trying to call somebody Chief Big Feather. My family's last name is Big Feather. There were no yeah, chiefs, but I just need to point that. Out I guess that does make because... me sound like I'm somehow pointed. Yeah, that was a personal. Yeah. No, that's Whatever. just my family's last that's name. A, that's actually her family's <laughs> last name. So, <Yeah. laughs> um, it just sounds like a stereotypical name. So it's not a good look, I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, so representatives of the local Native American population, they personally took like different authors that were writing these books and stuff like that around to abandoned Native American cemeteries that are right outside the village of Amityville. But sadly, a lot of these grounds are now used as dumping areas. But um, history from the Native American um like all of the, their history has been actually pretty well preserved, like orally. So if a burial ground did exist where that house is or the street that the house was on there, there would be like a record of it or something like that. And there's not. So yeah, no, so, no cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> so John Ketchum, um, very well real, but not a witch or a Satan worshiper. Um, <laughs> Um, so he was not making like human sacrifices. Um, he came from Ipswich, Massachusetts, um, which is a community near Salem, the more famous Salem, <laughs> um, and settled in Huntington Township on Long Island. Um, while he was in Massachusetts, John Ketchum acted as a representative to local government um, there before he returned to Long Island, um, where some of the family resided. He eventually became a prominent figure in Huntington before his death in 1697. Um, Huntington is more than 10 miles away from Amityville, just to place it. Yeah. Um, I also read that um, there were a lot of Ketchum members of the family. So Ashby I wasn't sure if this famous. was like a, if this was actually like um, a direct, uh, like someone to his direct line, but mm -hmm. John Ketchum, I think I read, what's it called? Now my now my brain is gonna oh founded uh, Indiana oh interesting or something around that area so some of the towns in Indiana he like founded so I don't know when I when I, the first John Ketchum I read was nowhere near any of this and had like yeah. relocated to Kentucky and Indiana mm -hmm. and then I went back farther and then I found this John Ketchum so I was like okay. Okay, this is probably the one they're trying to refer to just because yeah. there's a Salem correlation there but mm -hmm. like I highly doubt <laughs> that he would be practicing witchcraft around <laughs> that time frame so if you saw what was going on I know he's all uh just kidding like, <laughs> like my neck <laughs> I like not being burned. I like not being crushed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So now that's going to bring us to the construction of the actual house, which was at 112 or so 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. The There's five bedrooms. Ocean Avenue. That's what I keep thinking. I'm all <laughs> yellow card, man. This is what they were talking about. <laughs> so, um, the five-bedroom, three-bath house was built in 1927 and fashioned after a Dutch colonial home with the famous shutter eye windows um, that are featured on literally 
every movie cover because they're spooky i guess yeah because i had a friend (laughs) the one actually that i talked about um the horror movie stuff with if if you're listening hi but she moved to tennessee and the first house that they lived in i went to go visit her and they had windows like that and i was like oh (laughs) want to stay in your house i'm gonna get axed (laughs) this is also like out in the woods you know so i was just like um no no she likes horror movies so much she became one. no um so in 1965 the defeo family purchased this home so it was already pretty old by then so ronald joseph big ronnie (laughs) defeo senior was born on november 16th 1930 to parents rocco and antoinette defeo Rocco. <laughs> Rocco. Um, it, said, it was said that when he was younger, Big Ronnie was slender, handsome, and a, had a powerful gaze reminiscent of Rudolph Valentino. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Whoa, that's quite the striking image. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know I saw it was in quotes. I guess I just. Not me that. comparing him to Tabitha was all. Reminiscent. Let's, let's look up Rudolph Valentino. I know you should get a picture of him up for the those who are okay. watching the video. He also looks kind of serial killerish here in this uh one clip. Okay. Like but I could see it. Yeah. Okay. Small. I guess in 1930 I'd been like, get it, Rudolph. <laughs> you can play my reindeer kid. Looks like a pretty boy. <laughs> yeah. Not my time. All right. So Louise Marie Brigante <laughs> was born on November 3rd, which is tomorrow, 1931, to Michael and Angela Brignett. Louise was also considered a total babe. Um, she wanted to pursue a modeling career. Um, so after a brief courtship, Big Ronnie and Louise got married. Um since the Brig- Brigannettes disapproved of Big Ronnie, they cut all ties with the newlyweds until September 26, 1951. That's sad. Um, when Ronald Joseph DeFeo Jr. was born. Later, Big Ronnie would work as a very successful car salesman for Louise- Louise's father. I could see that guy, like the picture you just showed, being a car salesman. Yeah, because the grease tear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's the it's, luck. I was actually just talking about this with someone. Is that it's very common, like if um, you know, parents don't like who you're dating or who you get yeah. married to or something like that. That like if you do marry them, they often yeah. will like cut ties or whatever. But mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. grandbabies grand somehow along. bring them back around because we're like, oh, what I wouldn't know? let them. If they cut ties with me, I'm yeah. like, you get nothing. Like, because I know yeah, that your feelings money. haven't changed. <laughs> money changes everything. Money changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> we were having you conversations about my debut for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Money uh, changes a lot of things. There's a lot I would change my mind on if the right check amount was They present. say money doesn't bring happiness, but it sure, <laughs> but it sure brings a smile to my face. My face. <laughs> Nothing right. to see, just a dead out. Dead out. <laughs> Another quote that one percent of our listeners get. Candace, uh, looking at you. I know so growing up, Ronnie Jr., which his nickname was Butch, Big Ronnie and Butch. So um, he did not have the best, I know, relationship with his father, Big Ronnie, the dad. Uh, served all, as a I want to be Big Ronnie, Big Ronnie, Big Ronnie. <laughs> Your little Ronnie, Big Ronnie, Big Ronnie. 
Yeah. Um, so sorry, oh, Big man. Ronnie was like a domineering authority figure and he engaged in hot tempered fights all the time. And he would focus a lot yeah. of his temper and anger onto his firstborn, which we're not we're gonna we're not gonna call him Butch because it's gonna Butch. it's gonna get confusing. I'll either call him Ronnie Jr. or DeFeo just because of this case. Yeah. Um Luis's brother, so DeFeo's mom, uh Michael Bagante Jr., he would later testify at the DeFeo trial about an incident that he witnessed when Ronnie Jr. was just two years old. He said that we were all sitting down in the basement watching TV, and I don't know, the boy had done something. All of a sudden, he stood up, the father, and just pushed the boy this way into the wall, and the boy banged his head and a part of his shoulder or something. So, obviously, if you were throwing around your two-year-old son into yeah. walls and banging his head and shoulder, you were your straight up abusive father. So yeah. Terrible. As a child, like I said, I'm going to call him, we'll call him Ronnie Jr. Was extremely overweight and he would remain so until his later teenage years when he began using amphetamines. So as you can imagine, growing up chubby, like in the fifties and the sixties, when bullying was in its heyday, <laughs> like I'm sure was back when just, you could still bully a kid without repercussions. Yeah, when it, when you're like getting like high five <laughs> for bullying people, like so horrible. It's funny when you watch these like old movies and they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> give that son a hold, and you got the dad like joining in on it too, and you're like, yeah, What's wrong but with like, you guys? yeah. So and then weird. therapy was discovered. <laughs> yeah, like 30 years later. But yeah. so kids would make fun of him a lot. They'd call him the Blob. They'd call him Bucky Beaver. They call him Pork Chop. Which obviously this kid is getting um, physically and probably verbally abused at home, and then he's going to school, and now he's getting you know the same shit. Yeah, yeah, the same shit. Like I'm sure he's getting pushed around. I'm sure, you know, it's just the psychological abuse here, like that's happening to this poor kid growing up. Like. I don't feel yeah. bad for him as an adult, but I feel bad for him as a child. So, yeah. On July 29th, 1956, Luis gave birth to a daughter, Dawn Teresa DeFeo. And a few years later, on August 16th, 1961, she gave birth to Allison Luis DeFeo. And then again, a year later, on September 4th, 1962, she gave birth to Mark Gregory DeFeo. Um, sometime after the birth of Mark, uh, Louise decided to leave her husband for reasons that remain unclear, but I feel it has probably abuse. abuse <laughs> yeah. To be honest, uh, I'm just going to go here on a whim and think that that yeah. might have been it. Yes. So to get his wife back, uh, Big Ronnie decided to put his writing talents to good use. Didn't know he was a writer, but apparently he is. And he's okay. actually a pretty damn good one because he was able to co-write a song called The Real Thing. And in 1963, one of the jazz great artists of that time, Joe Williams, recorded this song for his album, which it's on the album One is the Lonesome Number. And I'm going to play you guys a clip oh, of this song. A little music. A little music. If you are going with her and you can't win... And you're constantly in a spin. Oh, there you go, the rhyming. If the winter time feels like spring, it's not puppy love, it's the real thing. Okay, I could, I could get down to that. 
I could too, but I kind of like it. But now I'm I like, know. oh, it's written by an abusive, an abusive father. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not so much. <laughs> Co-wrote. <laughs> Co-wrote. Mm-hmm. That's done. <laughs> it's like I'm done with your drink there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the song must have worked because one year later, the DeFeos welcomed a third son, John Matthew DeFeo, who was born on October 24th, 1965, which was the same year that the DeFeos actually moved into the Amityville house. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to jump ahead 10 years now. So mm-hmm. around 6.30 on November 13th, 1974, Ronnie Jr., who was then 23 years old, he entered Henry's bar, which was a little bar just around the street, just down the street from where he, uh, from their house in Amityville. And he started screaming. As soon as he walked in the bar, he started screaming. You got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. So of course, everyone in this bar who knows who he is, a small little, you know, area, small little town, yeah. um, immediately gather up to go to his house. So they run over to the house and they find, um, at 112 Ocean Avenue, uh, the DeFeo parents and family were all dead inside. One of the members of the group, which was DeFeo's friend, Joe Yeswit, he made an emergency call to the Suffolk County Police Department, who searched the house and they found that six members of the family were dead in their beds. Ronnie's dad, big, big Ronnie, uh, was 43 years old. Luis DeFeo's mom was 43. His sister, Dawn, was 18. His sister, Allison, was 13. Mark was 12. And John was nine years old. All of the victims had been shot with a 35 caliber lever action Marlin 360 rifle, which I don't know what that means, but I saw pictures of it. Sounds big. Exactly, yeah, it was a big <laughs> rifle. So I was like, for you gun people that know what that is, kudos. I don't know. But there you go. I saw it. it was a big <laughs> yeah. rifle. Um, so they determined later that the victims had been shot around 3 a.m. that morning. It's now, you know, 6.30 at night. Um, the children had been killed by single shots, while DeFeo parents had each received two shots. Physical evidence suggests that Luis DeFeo, the mom, and her daughter Allison, who was 13, were both awake at the time of their deaths and actually bled out, which is Horrific. so sad. Yeah. Um, According to the Suffolk County Police, the victims were all found lying face down in their bed. So at first, DeFeo tried to claim it must have been a mob hitman that attacked his family. Um, He, but it did not take him very long to come clean and confess that he had actually done the shooting. But what takes this case to the global kind of like you know celebrity status almost that that it did yeah, that it is now was what he was claiming the reason why this happened so he claimed that he was in his basement and he was watching tv and that he had like passed out and when he awoke the tv was all staticky and that he saw a dark figure walking towards him and it handed him the rifle and it told him that he had to go and kill his parents and his family. And he said that it was a demonic spirit that gave him the gun, possessed him and used him to murder his family. 
All six of the victims were found face down in their beds with no sign of struggle. So this had police kind of confused. And also the neighbors didn't say that they, none of the neighbors reported hearing anything, like any gunshots or anything like that. And there was no silencer on this rifle. Um, so, and they also didn't find any sedatives in the, any of the victim's blood too. So they're trying to think like, how, why would this happen? Yeah. So obviously that kind of gives this case just that extra sense of like eeriness, like maybe something weird is going on here. So, mm-hmm. okay, calls so now we're going to, yeah, it, it does. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, this hits the papers, <clears throat> papers run wild with it. It's also really weird that actual like news sources, like imagine CNN or Fox yeah. News or BBC News reported <laughs> that a man was possessed by the devil and murdered his family. And they reported yeah. it as fact. That's what's yeah. wild to me um, about this case that mm-hmm. we'll get into a little bit more. But we're going to die. This What you just heard is pretty much the most, I think, of like what anyone's really heard, to be honest, aside from like what happens to the trial. Yeah. So we're going to dive a little bit more into the DeFeo story that no one really talks about. So as we mentioned earlier... <clears throat> Wow. Um, DeFeo and his dad had a very volatile relationship. Um, His father seemed to have fits of abuse and a very short temper. Um, As DeFeo matured, he began lashing out physically against his father, um, as well as a few of his very few friends. Um, His concerned family took him to a psychiatrist, but the visits didn't sit well with DeFeo, who um, denied that he needed help which is common which is Um, also like why was none of this ever brought up before that yeah history here you know yeah like this is typically in a murder case you would be looking at this sort of thing before you jump straight to the the devil (laughs) devil. uh, all right so the trips to (laughs) that's another one where i'm like all right um so (laughs) the trips to the doctor um stopped and in their place, DeFeo's used the incentive of cash and presents, including a fourteen thousand speedboat, fourteen thousand dollars speedboat, in the hopes that the gifts would placate their troubled son. Which, if I had been given that to as a kid, I would have been like, "Watch my troubles disappear." Um, <laughs> so- or increase. <laughs> So I could get some more, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you shoot the hand that feeds, <laughs> so much. So, um, but the new tactic only made the problems worse. Like that was said. Um, by the age of seventeen, DeFeo had become an LSD and heroin user, um, and was expelled from school for violent outbursts. He's all, I'm trying to get that hundred thousand dollar yacht. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. In spite of his academic setbacks, the DeFeos continued to reward their son. Um, at the age of 18, DeFeo received a prized pos- um, position at his grandfather's car dealership um, with little to no expectations. Um, he had also earned a weekly stipend from his father, regardless of his attendance um, or job performance at work. So DeFeo funneled this salary into his new car another present from his parents um as well as guns alcohol drugs um you know 
the normal the, stuff. The good stuff. <laughs> um, I have a feeling a lot of this has to do with feeling guilty for the abuse um, Big Ronnie administered earlier in DeFeo's life. Um, and also just yeah. obviously not knowing how to parent at all. Yeah. Like, it's like they don't want to deal with insane. the problem. They're probably just like, uh, yeah. It's like giving a pacifier to a, to a baby, like, who won't shut just up like just, yeah. i just need you to just stop and then yeah. i've seen it too with like you know divorced parents where they yeah. just spoil mm-hmm. the shit out of a kid mm-hmm. kind of just trying to like well see i'm not the one that's like you know punishing you or yeah. disciplining you so yeah here's your money which i wish that had been my experience so <laughs> i'm owed a lot <laughs> all those owed a lot i'm owed a lot in fact oh gosh Back, um, uh, what do you so call it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Back taxes from my misery. Yeah. I'm sending De- invoices. invoices. <laughs> I got bills to pay. DeFeo's behavior <laughs> only seemed to increase with time. So at one point he threatened a, a friend with a rifle during a hunting trip, which is just already like uh. terrifying. Yeah. And this is something that uh, and I guess, like, later that day, too, after the whole thing happened, he kind of just acted like, what? Like, nothing happened. Like, <laughs> I was kidding, you know? <laughs> it was Trying to gaslight the poor kid. <laughs> I know. That didn't happen. You're overreacting. I just pretended to shoot so, you with an Let me slip you gun. $100 and let's say this never happened. <laughs> yeah. God. Um, he also attempted to shoot his father with a 12-gauge shotgun Jeez. during a fight between his parents. <laughs> yeah. Which, to me... This should all be like in the trial. Like this, this should have been the yeah. papers. Like this is not yeah. his first time to you know try and attempt to kill. He's his putting dad. guns left and right. Yeah, and so I just it's on heroin. <laughs> yeah, I was shooting guns a blazing. Um. So anyway, he pulled the trigger at his dad, like with the gun, like point blank range, but the gun malfunctioned, so his dad didn't get shot. But his dad was shocked by this. And was just like, ah, uh, you know, and kind of just ended the the argument like right then and there. But I'm like, that should have been your incentive to be like, let's get this get this kid back on therapy. Let's take away his guns. Yeah. Um, I also, if I was abusive parent, I would not be that stunned. But also, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't I know should, the shit that guy was. Uh, yeah. But obviously, that's just at this point. Oh happens. man, these bangs so. or something. I keep getting little hairs in my face and like itchy, and then I'm all like, well, I can't keep itching. This, this one right here is like what's really bothering me. It's just like <laughs> it's like a side alfalfa. I don't know what's going on. The headphones, loud. yeah, yeah. My bow near, keeps... near on the wall. My bow. Am I not the fairest of them all? Oh God, he's hideous. So, um, not you, just the quote. So in 1974, <laughs> DeFeo, I just realized that quote gets out like that. Like, it's a quote. It's a quote. <laughs> You're beautiful. Even just as far quad. It's a beautiful. <laughs> and precious. This is why we don't drink. <laughs> okay. Okay. In 1974, DeFeo, feeling irrita- irritated, but by what he believed a meager salary. I can't even talk. <laughs> a meager salary plotted methods to embezzling money. Which I really want to know what this guy... I want to know what meager is. Yeah. I feel like I have a meager salary. <laughs> I want to 
<laughs> I need to know what was meager in 1974 at your job. You didn't have to show up to dude. Um, I don't know. So <laughs> in late October, the dealership entrusted him with the responsibility of depositing more than $20,000 to the bank. DeFeo planned a mock robbery with a friend, um, agreeing to split the money evenly with his accomplice. The plan went off without a hitch until police came to the dealership to question him about it. Instead of calmly answering the officer's questions, DeFeo exploded into a rage. Uh, when police um, were suspicious that he was lying, asked him to come into the station um, to like check out different mugshots um, of possible suspects, he refused to comply. It's like, dude, act cool. <laughs> so, um, Ronald Sr. began to suspect um, that his son had committed the robbery. Uh, but when he questioned his son about the lack of cooperation with police, DeFeo threatened to kill his father. Which is <laughs> like more guilty. Also, like, yeah. the second time he's already, you know, kind of. Yeah, and which friend is helping him? Murdered. He pointed the rifle at, or is this like another one? Like, what is this? How do you I have friends like this? No. In the early morning hours of November thirteenth, <laughs> excuse me, nineteen seventy four, DeFeo actually acted on that threat. So, like we said earlier, using a thirty five caliber Marlin rifle from his secret gun stash. I guess he had purchased this gun. Like shortly before this murder, so kind of leaves his me meager salary. His <laughs> meager salary. Before <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> guns, dude. I don't know. He entered his parents' bedroom and shot them both while they slept. Then he entered his brother's bedroom, shooting them both in their beds, and then he ended by shooting his sisters point blank in their bedrooms. All the murders took place within 15 minutes. And actually, I think I have that wrong. I'm pretty sure he murdered his parents first, then the sisters, then went upstairs to the third floor. This is a three-story house, and then there's a basement, so it's almost like there's four levels. The parents' yeah. house and the sisters, I mean, the parents' bedroom and the sisters' bedroom were both on the second floor. Yeah. And then the third floor is where the brothers, the little boys slept. So I, I, I'm pretty sure, either way, it all happened very quickly and is like within 15 minutes the entire family was yeah. annihilated. Deo, DeFeo then calmly showered and he dressed for work. He collected the bloody clothing and he collected the rifle in a pillowcase. He dumped the rifle in water like down the street. And then he threw his bloody clothes in a storm drain like while he was driving to the work. And he got to the dealership at 6 a.m. When he got to work, he called his house to ask where his dad is because dad's not at work. The so, devil asked him to do that too. The <laughs> devil asked a lot of things. Um, so he pretended to not know why his dad hadn't shown up for work. That's so strange. And then he said he was bored around noon and left and spent what? the day with his friends. Which I'm just like, Much be bruh. Nice. <laughs> bruh. And then he decided to secure his alibi by telling everyone he had seen that day, like, I haven't heard from anyone at home. That's so weird. Haven't heard from anyone at home. Hmm, what's so going weird. on down there? So weird. And then at six o'clock, he calls a friend saying, you know, that he thinks someone broke into his house. And then at 630, he enters the bar for help. All so right. do we still think he was possessed or do nope. we think... He's just a selfish prick who thought he could get away with it because I'm exactly leaning more it. towards the latter. Yeah, so I can't be arrested. They'll just buy me a house. Yeah. <laughs> I was 
So at first, DeFeo immediately, like, w- almost within minutes of, like, when the police show up and everything, he just starts accusing, which apparently must have been a well-known mafia hitman, Luis Fellini. And he, How do you just have that name in the back? Of the yeah, I, I don't understand I don't that one. Mafia and, and, and I wish I kind of looked more into that to understand. Yeah. Like maybe there was some mafia connection with their family. I don't know. Yeah, his dad's name is Big Ronnie. So if anybody but, has mafia ties, it's Big Ronnie. Maybe. Yeah. So he accuses this hitman of taking his family out because there's some old grudge with the dealership. He's like, "This is why." Blah blah blah. So the police kind of like take him into custody, but not as a total suspect while they think, okay, we're going to go look for more clues, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. secure the scene. As they carefully search the house, though, they find an empty box for a recently purchased 35 caliber Marlin rifle in DeFeo's room, which are like, okay, wait a second. And where is this gun? So when authorities (laughs) (laughs) devil went down to Walmart looking for a gun to steal. (laughs) Uh, So the authorities questioned DeFeo about this, this new evidence, and he starts changing his story, of Mm. course, because he has no backbone, can't keep to one story. So he says, well, actually what happened is, uh, oh yeah, because they also tell him, you know, also we can it's very obvious that they were not just murdered. They were murdered early this morning, which means mm-hmm. you would have been home. So they also yeah. kind of do that too. So, but DeFeo then says, well, Fellini appeared at the house like really early in the morning and he put a revolver to my head. And then he said, um, and then another accomplice showed up and they dragged him from room to room as they murdered his family in front of him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so as the story unraveled, police eventually get a the infamous confession from DeFeo where he says, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. <laughs> like a Pringles can. What's he popping? Oh my gosh. That's so <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just like that. I've had dinner yet. I'm hungry. <laughs> 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 What you pop, you just can't stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want Pringles though. That sounds so good. Anyways, <laughs> and so anyways, uh, Tafeo's trial. This is not began. the episode I get canceled on. We already we already know that. So. <laughs> Long oh, past man. that. I uh, there's other episodes we said worse. <laughs> Um, DeFeo's trial began on October 14th, 1975, nearly a year from the date of the actual murders. DeFeo's defense attorney, William Weber, attempted an insanity plea for him. And the murder suspect told jurors that he heard voices that told him to kill his family. The psychiatrist from the defense, Dr. Daniel Schwartz, supported the claim, saying that DeFeo was neurotic and suffered from a disassociative disorder but the psychiatrist for the prosecution dr harold zolan proved that defeo suffered from antisocial personality disorder the illness made him the defendant made him the defendant aware of his actions um but motivated but was motivated by a self-centered attitude. which i totally see that agree with yeah like, i think something's <laughs> for sure off with him yeah and he needs like you know actual medical attention with that and, and yeah. everything but 
I do think I don't think he was very much aware of what he was doing obviously uh, you know he had no discipline outside of abuse that you know when as a kid he did not deserve but yeah then when he was older and started acting out he was not everything he's done like you know the couple things that we talked about they're all just selfish motivation like trying to steal money from his job Mm -hmm. you know getting an argument getting frustrated and trying to shoot his dad like it's just selfish yeah so at one point defeo tried to use self-defense as a defense saying that the family was planning to kill him um yeah in their pajamas in their beds (laughs) i don't think that when you're lying on your stomach yeah that you're trying to kill anybody yeah and i don't think your nine-year-old brother was also trying to kill you right like every single one of them your nine-year-old brother your like 12 year old brother and 13 year old sister no. Yeah. So um, jurors agreed with the assessment and on um, of the antisocial um, disorder. And on November tw- 21st, 1975, they found DeFeo guilty on six counts of second degree murder. He was sentenced to six consecutive live sentences and was sent to Green Haven Correctional Facility in Beekman, New York. Now, while Ronnie Jr. was the only one who was charged and convicted of this crime, there are some conspiracies and maybe some evidence that point to other things, like that there was a second or a third person there, um, that another gun was used, and um, it there's even some implications that the oldest daughter, Dawn, who was also killed, was somehow involved too. So Dawn equally hated her parents, like as much as DeFeo did. Um, and she was also using LSD and other drugs. And she had a boyfriend in Florida who she really wanted to be with. But her parents did not approve of this. And so the theory is that Dawn approached DeFeo about murdering their parents so that she could go off and live with her boyfriend. There's an affidavit from her boyfriend where he does talk about how she was like, very like obsessed with him and a little bit like unpredictable and she really didn't like her parents and that she was Mm -hmm. using drugs and that she very much like was driven to find any way possible to come be with him so there is that Mm -hmm. um here is the alternative oh also they did find gunpowder on her fingertips which could imply that she did also shoot a gun Okay. Um, so there is a, there's a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the alternative narrative. And this is all I'm taking this from. Uh, this is all in quote. So. <clears throat> so <clears throat> in sense that her father was preventing her from joining her boyfriend in Florida and she was worn out from the years of physical abuse, Don DeFeo approached her older brother about killing their parents. Butch, if you guys remember Ronnie DeFeo Jr., that's his nickname, Butch, Butch. initially refused. (laughs) After a culmination of drugs, alcohol, and desperation over the next few hours, Butch finally came in to to Don's ghoulish request. Employing his two friends, Butch and Don left the safety of the family's basement and headed to their parents' bedroom on the second floor. It was around 1 a.m. on November 13, 1974. While one friend waited as a lookout, The other, with his Colt Python, followed Butch, who had armed himself with a 35 Marlin rifle. A votive candle was burning on his father's dresser, 
and the second floor bathroom light and a military style flashlight later recovered by the police on the brown recliner in the hallway outside the master bedroom was their only light source. The parents were attacked while they lay in bed. Mr. DeFeo, however, was able to struggle to his feet to attempt a counterattack on his assassins. A second bullet struck him dead before he was able to reach his target. Luis DeFeo, mom, she lay in bed moaning for help as she slowly bled to death. A second bullet would silence her for good. Although the original plan called for the younger children to be taken to the grandparents' house in Brooklyn, Dawn, according to Butch, killed them to eliminate the children as witnesses and potential threats. Butch claimed he was not in the house at the time of the children's murders, but was giving pursuit to one of his friends who had fled the scene in order to lure him back to assist with the cleanup. Even while feigning insanity at trial, Butch DeFeo never admitted to shooting the children. Now, one could only imagine the horror on Mark's and John's faces when their big sister entered the room with a rifle. And remember, this is all in quote. This is not me saying this. Yeah. John callously <laughs> ordered the boy's face down. And there's a clue that the DeFeos were awake at the time of the murders rest in their final position of Mark DeFeo's body. Because so Mark was one of the little boys. He had a pretty severe um, injury from football where he was stricken to a wheelchair and it was so bad that like he needed help to even turn in his sleep Mm -hmm. or turn on his side or anything like that. So he would typically lay on his back when he slept. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the fact that he was turned over and face down was very like, why would he be in that position unless someone placed him there like that? Mm -hmm. So, so he was shot face down in the bed um, and the prosecutor confirmed this fact at the DeFeo trial. The next room that Don entered was Allison's. Standing in the doorway, Don raised the rifle, taking aim as Allison slightly raised her head to look before the muzzle flashed. Death was instantaneous, and a bullet impacted Allison's left cheek and exited her right ear. So, Butch, upon his return and enraged at the senseless murder confronted Don DeFeo in her third floor bedroom. After briefly wrestling for the gun, Butch got the upper hand and slammed Don against the bed, knocking her out. As she lay unconscious on her bed, Butch placed the back of the rifle to Don's head and fired. The murderous spree had finally ended, but the cleanup had just begun. Of course, they had a little bit of flair there. Yes. (laughs) The other accomplice named by DeFeo on January 1st, 2001 um the man what? refused it that's not when he uh that's not when he named that was when he died oh sorry i missed the word but <laughs> <laughs> well, then Another... he died <laughs> <laughs> he died um so anyway that guy died um the man refused an interview or a chance to clear up any speculation over his involvement yeah, during so the trial Jekyll had had named um his like sister as an accomplice he, yeah. and yeah, the other friends mm-hmm. earlier on that those names were not released to, I couldn't find them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they are somewhere. I just probably yeah. didn't dig deep enough. This case is like kind of wild and I'm not going to lie. It's, um, it's really hard to find the truth in what I could find because people, there's all like the fanatic yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 
So during the trial, the uh, medical examiner was, quote unquote, mystified that one gunman could have done all of this with one gun. Retired NYPD detective Herman Race, who was hired by Luis's father to investigate the, um, the case, also stated that there was no way one gun could have shot everybody. Um, there had to have been a second shooter. Luis's parents could not believe that their grandson could have done this heinous crime all by himself. Every time I hear yeah. heinous, I think of which for you. When the medical examiner is mystified, that's actually like we're like in quotes mystified. Yeah, that this could be done by one shooter. Part of me is like, okay, I'm willing to entertain that there was a second shooter there or a second gun, but mm-hmm. I also think that this crime was just so horrible at the time. Yeah, that no one could really believe it, and I. I will get into that a little bit later, but I do. Mm-hmm. And even with his grandparents hiring extra detectives to look into this, I, yeah. So I'm going to read now just a, p- a small part of DeFeo's original, this is his original testimony from the trial. So this is not what we had talked about with the sister and everything. This mm-hmm. is an original excerpt. Yeah, let me see if I can zoom in on it because it's it's like the old typed thing. So the question, Ronnie, were you using drugs that day? Or, and he answers, that day? No, sir. Had he used drugs before that day, within the last week? No, I didn't use no drugs. No, sir. Not the kind of drugs you're talking about. Well, were you taking medication? I was taking medication, you know, from the drugstore that my mother gave me, not street drugs, which um, I don't know if I believe that because there's a lot of like... um, there's a lot of stuff about talking about him actually using like LSD that week. So <clears throat> I don't think they sell LSD at the drugstore. But <laughs> what kind of CVS do they yeah, have? Yeah, what did she got there? Yeah. Okay, Ronnie. Will you continue as to what you recall happening? Well, I remember somebody, I told you, I blacked out or fell asleep, but somebody came down there and started kicking me. He's talking about coming down into the basement. Yeah. When I got up, the TV was off. The lamp was off. The room was very dark. All I know is somebody was standing there with a rifle in their hands, and the hands that that person had were black. Ronnie, do you know the person? Well, I thought it was my sister. Who? Dawn. That's who I thought it was, to be quite honest about it. And I remember there was some conversation. And then it goes off there. That's the only mention he has in the original trial about his sister possibly being there mm-hmm. or in any way involved. Mm-hmm. The, the rest of the story doesn't come out until after the trial, which I find interesting. interesting. Yeah. So now I'm going to finish with um, the prosecutor's opening statement here. Well, part of the opening statement. Yeah. Okay. Members of the jury, the police uh, bleh, already messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> I could never be in court. No, neither uh, can I. The mem- members of the jury, the people will prove that sometime after 3 a.m. on November 13th, Ronald DeFeo pointed the death weapon at his father's back and fired it. It took Ronald DeFeo Jr. two shots to kill his father. One of these entered his back and pressed through his body, destroying his heart. 
There's no definitive proof as to where precisely Ronald DeFeo was at the point in time his son fired the first shot into his back. The bullet, you may infer, stopped inside of his body. So they can't determine if if the dad was standing up when he got mm-hmm. shot or if he was lying down or whatever at that first back. So yeah, like what they're saying about the first, the second story with the sister, like they can't really mm-hmm. confirm on that. Yeah. <clears throat> Testimony by the deputy chief medical examiner who examined this body as it was found laying face down in his bed combined with his autopsy conducted later that night at the medical examiner's office will show the trajectories of each bullet which entered his back are different. The difference in the angles of these bullets entering the body combined with certain other evidence in case you will learn of may cause you to conclude that this defendant first shot his father after he had gotten up from his bed. And then, therefore, his body, the body of his father, was placed back into bed later Mm -hmm. to be found by the police. Then I'm going to go to, I'm going to go down to um, the younger sister, Allison, uh, mm-hmm. that he's talking about. This is still in the, the opening statement. Um, kind of cuts in here. Place the muzzle of his gun less than two feet from her face. So the proof will show that Allison DeFeo had awakened. She had raised her head toward the door where her murderer, murderer stood at the moment of her death. He fired into her head and the bullet destroyed the girl's brain before it passed through the opposite ear, through the bedding, bouncing off the wall at the head of the bed, coming to rest on the floor beneath it. Her death, too, was instantaneous. And the position of her body in death, as you'll observe, suggests that she died as she was awakening from her sleep. Ronald DeFeo then ejected the spent cartridge into a spreading pool of his sister's blood and turned towards the bedroom of his sleeping brothers, Mark and John, just steps away from on the same floor. Each boy occupied a bed on opposite sides of the bedroom, and they lay parallel to one another. We will suffer evidence that Mark, the 11-year-old boy, suffered a football injury to his hip, could only move with a wheelchair or crutches, and that the same injury limited his ability to move about in his bed. He needed assistance to turn over in his bed, and indeed the most likely he would have slept on his back, just like we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. When this corpse was found by the police, he lay on his stomach, his head buried in a pillow. Ron DeFeo fired almost point blank into both boys' backs from a position standing alongside, somewhat to the rear of their beds. Both were lying down on their beds, and the death bullets came to rest in the mattresses beneath their bodies. Later, DeFeo described to homicide detectives how he watched his brother's foot twitch until it stopped. It's absolutely horrible. Yeah. Here again, you will find no definitive evidence indicating whether either or both of these boys were awakened prior to being murdered by DeFeo. Only the interference that may arise upon considering the limitations of Mark's injury and the evidence Mm -hmm. that these victims um, four and five were also found lying down, face down in death. We will, however, offer proof indicating that the last victim, Don DeFeo, may very well have awakened in her third floor bedroom as the defendant moved towards the stairs. So it's 
it's kind of fuzzy. Like they, they can tell mm-hmm. that she was the last person murdered mm-hmm. and they can at least tell that she was, she probably was awake yeah. when her murder happened. So it, it's very fuzzy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to wrap up part one here though. Um, and next week yeah. we'll dive into the story of the Lutz family that moved into this home only eight months after the, these murders happened, which I find God. shocking. Yeah. Eight months. But I kind of want to know what your thoughts are, Katie. Like, do you think he acted alone or do you think his sister was involved? Or do you think I don't think involved? his sister was involved. I don't know. I don't want to know about friends being involved. I don't think there's not much evidence to point either way there. Um, but just if we're taking what we already know about DeFeo is that he obviously was a very selfish and angry person. Um, so I think that he later didn't want to admit that he had killed the children because I don't think he probably had meant to kill them originally. Um, I think his anger obviously was very much directed at his father. Um, I feel like since he tried to kill him twice in the past that this time he actually went through with it, killed the mom and then was like, Oh shit, I'm going to get caught and I can't get caught. I need to go kill my siblings now because they're here. And I think that's how it went down. His sister was 18 years old. This guy was 23 and by all accounts, huge. So like I can see even if she was awake, him easily being able to kill her. And since his little brothers were so little, like 12 and, and 9, was that right? He, yeah, they were probably then, yeah. super terrified of him. And if they grew up, one, with their father being the way he is, and then with DeFeo being the way he is, very explosive, they were probably terrified of him even before he came into their room with a gun, you know, yeah. like growing up. So if he told them like turn over or I'm going to turn you over. I'm sure that they wouldn't have put up much of a fight. Yeah. Because they're they like. probably just would have been scared. Yeah. And then he shot them. So. I um, think also the yeah. the turning them over was a very like. <clears throat> I don't want to see their face. Their faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like. It's when they say. They say that when um, a murder like covers a body. Or mm-hmm. covers like a face or something like that. Yeah. It's like shame. Yeah. So I yeah. think that there was. Um. Like, even though he obviously, I think that his dad was the main target. Yeah. Um, he, and they, they're saying like the dad was moved into this position after he died. Yeah. I think there was some shame, probably like immediate like shame. And then I'm sure that like in his own words, when I, once I started, I couldn't stop. I think that that's yeah. very real. Mm-hmm. I think that something probably just literally did take over his, yeah. himself and, yeah. Um he I don't think he was snapped. possessed, but no, I do but think he just finally he, snapped and I think, went yeah, into it. And I think his anger took over. His anger was so explosive in the past that I think this time it just went all out too far. Yeah. Um and I then, think also yeah. um this happened in nineteen seventy four. Now I'm like wait, yeah, seventy-four. So this happened nineteen seventy-four. So in the seventies, it's also when as we've talked many times before and all these serial killers are now being found out mm-hmm. and happening. Yeah. And so up like in the fifties, it was, it was just like unimaginable. Like this stuff mm-hmm. happened. Family yeah. annihilations happened. But yeah. it's just, we always, we like can't 
picture someone doing something so horrible that we try to like find another reason for it. So mm -hmm. when he says, oh, well, um, the devil like possessed me and took me over and we have movies like The Exorcist and stuff coming out. It's like, well, there it is. Yeah. There's there's a reasoning that I can accept. Like it wasn't him that wanted to murder his family. It was the yeah. devil that entered him. So yes. it, the devil. <laughs> I think that that's definitely more what it is. I don't really know about the whole sister involvement to me. Like if she did in fleeting say something about murdering the family, I don't think it took him a whole lot of convincing. Yeah. Um, and I think that he never wanted to really talk about murdering his uh, brothers because mm -hmm. it's just too shameful. I will say, Double though, there's kids. so many, like, conflicting yeah. things. So if you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard me say something about, oh, well, uh, their bedroom floor was on – or what floor their bedroom was on. Mm -hmm. Or he never mentioned killing his brothers and stuff like that. But then you read in a different – well sourced. Did he watch their, their foot move or that Dawn's room mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. on the third floor and not the first floor? Yeah. 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 And I'm using like court documents and stuff like that. So it's like I get the sense that DeFeo and also what I can read is he changed his story like almost weekly. So yeah. I think he was scrambling for whatever would get him out of getting in trouble. Yeah. Because he wasn't used to getting in trouble. He was used to getting bribed. And so yeah. when he was actually faced with real life consequences, he didn't know how to handle it and just scrambled for what he could to get out of it. He Which did, yeah. would be why he probably said, oh, well, it was Dawn, like after the fact. Yeah. Because um, he's like, oh, well, maybe if I say it's Dawn, they'll give me a lighter sentence or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And, and like years blame. after that, he did try at some point to blame it entirely on Dawn. And then he tried to blame it on someone else. And yeah. then he tried to, like, sue his lawyer for, like, selling a book about his demon possession. And then, then yeah. you know, he's seen in a lot of um, documentaries talking about, oh, yeah, I was possessed by the devil. And this happened. And I would hear this happen. So I, he's just reaching All for everything. over the place. Yeah. Definitely me mentally unwell, for sure. Yes. Um, but I think some of it is conditioning, like we talked mm -hmm. about over the years. And um, I think he was very aware of what he was doing and yeah just so selfish you know yeah. so narcissistic that he didn't really give a fuck so mm -hmm. yeah so we will pick up the rest of this um so we can dive into more of the uh supposed paranormal spooky stuff mm -hmm. it's just it's way too long to do it all yeah and i wanted to give I feel like every time someone talks about the Amityville Horror House, they never really dive into the DeFeo murder a whole lot. They kind of go straight to the Lutz the family. Spooky. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to um, talk a little bit more about the DeFeo family and that murder there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, it's been fun. It's been mm -hmm. real. It's real fucking itchy in this wig. I'll tell you that. I'm ready to get off. Yeah. <laughs> wig. I'm ready to have glasses again. Oh, it's like they didn't go like with your, my costume. I thought you were talking about your cocktail glass, and I was like, huh? <laughs> but yeah, so thanks for listening. Um, and you know what? We'll go ahead and cite the sources for this episode. So oh, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. the Ketchum Genealogy Organization, the Montauket Nation, probably saying that wrong. The Amityville Murders.com, Biography.com, Freddie Crespo, Real Estate Value Through the Years, Random 
show on YouTube. Um, and Amityville <laughs> Horror House, the documentary. And then I also have the court case documents here as well. I'll link all that in there. So mm-hmm. we will catch y'all next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Oh, creepy. Bye-bye. <laughs> Farewell. Farewell. Some of you may die. <laughs> That's a price I'm willing to make. <laughs> <laughs>